You're listening to DraftKings Network. Looky here. Look what we have found. I promise you, someone at the SEC is one of our privates in the Illuminati. The Southeastern Conference? Why? Because Jabari Smith went the... No, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Oh, you mean those guys from Succession, right? They're real? Yeah, that's not just a show, I mean. Oh, shit. Yeah, the SEC, basically the ethics overlord making sure everyone's playing nice and playing by the rules, the referees of the financial system. Huge breaking news story here that they have fined Ernst & Young, shorthand EY, one million, wait, I don't even have that right. Not a million dollars, not $10 million, $100 million. Wow. Shut the front door. I saw the story. I don't know why I'm, I'm acting stupid. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, they find them $100 million because, get this, Ernst & Young employees were caught cheating, not on their taxes, not on the way they did the accounting for certain companies or firms. They got caught cheating on their ethics exams. Come on. Cheating on your ethics exam is like the highest level of cheating, right? This is straight out of baseball cheating. They're saying the quiet part out loud. <laughs> We're not even going to hide it. We're cheating at the thing, the exam that is going to be asking you questions about not cheating. You can't even lie about that. It's like losing a spelling bee by misspelling the word spelling. <laughs> it's just a next level. Now, if you're new to basketball Illuminati, you might be saying, well, what does that have to do with anything? Tom, what's Ernst & Young's connection to basketball? They are the ones in charge of securitizing the integrity of the draft about their awards. And if you remember the 1985, the infamous 1985 frozen envelope draft lottery in which Patrick Ewing, the biggest prospect, big man prospect to come to the league since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, magically went to the biggest market, the biggest team, the biggest need to have a Patrick Ewing on the team. The NBA says, no, 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 no. Don't look our way. We have Ernst & Young verifying and certifying the integrity that it was all up on the up and up. And then they kept Ernst & Young for decades. And to this day, EY, Ernst & Young, that just got hit with a $100 million fine for cheating. They're continuing to be corporate partners of the NBA. How about that? <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny. When I was in college, Arthur Anderson hired a lot of Georgia Tech alums. One of the other big auditors, right? Yeah. Arthur Anderson was his big consulting company. Mm -hmm. And then what ended up happening was Arthur Anderson literally collapsed because they were involved with shredding documents in the Enron scandal. So they oversaw the biggest, at the time, the biggest bankruptcy in history in Enron. And then like something like six months later, WorldCom, which is MCI, phone company, that became the biggest bankruptcy in the history of mankind. By the way, also oversaw by Arthur Anderson. And basically, it destroyed their company because they were unethical. By the way, it's a settlement. The $100 million is a settlement. Mm. So can you imagine what the SEC wanted to find them with? Like a billion dollars maybe? But Ernst & Young agreed to the settlement, of course, with some contingencies in there, probably just admitting wrongdoing. 
But here's the quote from the director of enforcement at the SEC. It's simply outrageous that the very professionals responsible for catching cheating by clients cheated on ethics exams of all things. My assignment, uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. I'm Tom Haberstrow, and as always, I'm joined by my five-star Illuminati generals, Amin Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. Free agency is upon us, the draft, the title, all in the rearview mirror, and we're going to talk to Yaron Weitzman later in the program. Truth teller, Yaron Weitzman from Fox Sports. He broke the news that Michael Rubin... Minority owner in the Sixers selling his steak because he got bigger fish to fry. If you're asking yourself, who the f*** is Michael Rubin? Stay tuned. We'll explain it because this dude, you absolutely need to know who he is. Yeah, one of the biggest shadowy, now shadowy figures, power brokers in the league. We're going to talk to Yaron about Michael, but first... Listening to the agenda with Tom Haberstroh and Amin El Hassan. On the agenda, like I said, the draft, Palo Bencaro number one in the rearview mirror. Golden State Warriors are champs, and I think maybe Draymond Green is still podcasting. Do you have confirmation of that, Maze? He's still out there, new media, active <laughs> oh, yeah. on the airwaves. All types of controversies, player on player crime, but that's not what we're here for. That's not our agenda. That's someone else's agenda. Yeah, I can't wait to hear Draymond's free agency reporting because free agency is around the court. Now I'm going to see how he's going to cover what we cover and see new media, hashtag new media is going to do when all of their buddies. Aren't we new media? No, 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 no. We are new media, Tom. No, 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 no. No, I mean, we don't want to be part of that. No. This is not new media. This is the true media. Oh, that's right. Well, guess what? As part of being true media, guys, go ahead. Give yourselves a round of applause right here at Basketball Illuminati. Yeah. Told you. Take a bow. We told you guys. We tried to tell them. We tried to tell them. The Charlotte Hornets were going to do exactly. You all thought. You guys all lined up. Said, oh, uh, you guys said they were going to go inside the family. But they got Kenny Atkinson. Oh, what you got to say now? Yeah. Well... As luck would have it. They certainly went out of their way, I mean, to 
make it seem like the inevitable wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. We got Kenny Atkinson signing and talking to his staff. We had multiple reports of finalists. Dan Tony, Terry Stotts, and all these names. That didn't include one name. What name was that, Tom? Steve Clifford. <laughs> Cliff. What is old is new. What's new is old and old is new again. The man who was let go so they could hire James Borrego. And James Borrego has three straight seasons of improving by 10 wins or more. Who do they hire? Someone familiar. The guy that they let go before James Borrego. Man, is there anyone more in the family than someone who is already the head coach? Has already been in the family. Look, I'm going to tell you guys like this. You know what? We're not perfect here at Basketball Illuminati. We're not perfect. We can't predict the future. We're not soothsayers. So, yes, we got it wrong. Kenny Atkinson was their pick and for all intents and purposes was going to assemble his staff and get down to Charlotte. Then the Warriors won a championship and something happened. He changes his mind. And I submit to you, Michael Jordan said, that's why I told you I don't want anyone from outside the family. We can't trust them. We can't trust them. Give me someone familiar. And you know what the root word in familiar is? Familia. Familia, exactly. Mm. La familia, la cosa nostra. This is this thing of ours where you either played with me, you're related to me, you went to North Carolina, or we missed this fourth prong, guys. We are victims of our own hubris. We missed the most obvious one. You've already worked for me. Mm. <laughs> That's too easy. That's too easy. Do you see Rod Boone, who's the reporter for the Charlotte Observer, reported that it's a two-year deal with a third-year option, team option? That is the definition of zero commitment. You are lame duck a month into that contract. I like Cliff. He's, I think, a really good coach, really sharp. I've had really good interactions with him. But when I saw Rod Boone's report, I was like, wow, So it is shorter than your typical. Usually you hear four-year deals for new head coaching hires. This one is a lot shorter. So it doesn't seem like, I don't know if it's that they have a lot of trust in Steve Clifford, but he didn't get the standard coaching gig. And look, I think they're going to be fine. Mellow Ball, he's already an all-star at age 20. And Steve Clifford, he's known for the defensive side of the ball and being able to have a very disciplined team. And those are things that if you were going to do a coaching search, I would imagine they would want to go look for that candidate. Tom. Kenny Atkinson wasn't that candidate. Tom, 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 nobody cares. Nobody cares. This is the agenda. This is what the mainstream's talking about. Nobody cares about who the Charlotte Hornets are hiring for their coach. It's not the Charlotte Observer, Tom. Sorry, this isn't Buzz City Podcast or whatever the hell you guys want to call it down there in Charlotte. No, this is the agenda, and there is no agenda bigger than what just happened with the Houston Rockets, the Los Angeles Clippers, and John Wall. John Wall got bought out of his Houston Rockets contract that owed him $47 million dollars took 40 cold and took his ass to Los Angeles to sign with the Clippers. One problem. How the hell are we signing people on (laughs) June 28th? Wait, free agency is not open right now. The door is closed. It's not open. The lights are off. The door is locked. You can't sign deals before July 1? I mean? I can't believe we're still not sophisticated enough to do the absolute lie of, 
I've got a bunch of teams on my radar and then end up miraculously with the Clippers on July 1 at 12. Well, actually, now it's June 30th at 6.01 p.m. Eastern. I hate that they changed that, by the way. Wait, but I mean, I just want to pause here for a second. So you're telling me John Wall Uh worked out a buyout with the Houston Rockets for how much again? How much did he leave on the table? He left $7 million on the table. Why $7 million? I can't figure out why $7 million he would leave that number or agree to that number. I mean, I can only speculate that if you were going to say make up that money with, oh, I don't know, some sort of exception, right? Are there any cap exceptions that can get you to about $7 million? Wait, isn't a taxpayer mini mid-level $7 million or around there? The taxpayer mid-level, there's one that's worth $6 million. Surely, surely that can't be it. <laughs> what? Wait, you're saying it's amazing. Before free agency is allowed to open, I mean, uh huh, yeah, that John Wall magically left the same amount of money on the table that he is signing a new contract with another team. With another team, how would he be so assured in agreeing to that buyout? If free agency isn't open, he can't talk to other teams. It's against NBA rules for other teams to contact other players on other teams about new contracts. That's tampering. That's against the rules or or something. It's violating the rules, right? I mean, oh, you sound like such a square, Tom. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! This is in the rule book. Wait, wait, wait a minute! How can you be entered in the Las Vegas Open? You didn't even win a regional qualifying match. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, now I remember. The dodgeball chancellor's an extremely personal friend of mine. And I helped him shed some unwanted poundage before beach season. So you can close your little rule book on that one, Poindexter. Look, Tom, the rules don't apply. Time and time again, the NBA has shown the rules don't apply. A little bit later, we're going to be talking to Yaron Weitzman of Fox Sports. And we're going to ask him about Michael Rubin who is the now former minority owner in the Sixers, but someone who's had a lot of strong relationships with players, including players that haven't necessarily been on his team, like James Harden. I'm going to ask him about that. But the reality is, man, tampering of this sort is a cost of doing business. If you wanted John Wall to play for your team and you were waiting until Thursday, June 30th, in order to begin that conversation, you lose. You lose. Well, I posit to you that no one should be more upset about this news than Reggie Jackson. And here's why. I want you guys to click on the link that I just said to you. Mm -hmm. A month ago, it was announced that a certain someone had joined Clutch. Oh, my guy T. Lou. T. Lou. Yeah, Tyron Lou, head coach of the Clippers. Joined Clutch, which also shares a client, John Wall. So Rich Paul's client, John Wall, signs with the Los Angeles Clippers. And then all of a sudden, John Wall has the point guard position, maybe? Was there an assurance that not only would he get his money, but maybe he get his role too? I mean, I just saying, I don't think it's a total coincidence that John Wall is now so quick to join with the Clippers to get his money and also the coach, one of the best coaching minds in the league, just join the same agency. Well, that brings up an interesting thought to my mind, Tom. 
Is it tampering if you're talking to yourself? No. If you represent John Wall and you represent Tyron Lue and you look in the mirror and you're Rich Paul and you have a lovely house with Adele and you're just putting two of your assets together, is that tampering? How could that be tampering? It's not tampering for John Wall, but it's tampering for the Los Angeles Clippers. I can't believe you guys aren't picking up on this. The Clippers aren't allowed to do this. Oh. John Wall and Rich Paul could do whatever the hell they want, but damn, the Clippers can't be in on this, or at least they can't know that they're in on this until after June 30th. So, Well, surely this is the first time this has happened and the NBA is going to crack down on it. Right, Tom? Oh, no, no, no. Mays 2017, the Gordon Hayward situation. You know what? I'm just going to leave it right there. The Gordon Hayward situation. That's an episode of its own right there, boys. Oh, wow. We got a long summer ahead of us with this Gordon Hayward situation. That, my friends, is what we call a tease. We'll save that. We'll put it to the side because Steve Clifford, off the table. John Wall, off the table. Kyrie Irving, off the table for now because I kind of feel like by opting in, he's almost making it easier for the Nets to go ahead and trade him. He can sign an extension for the next year. So it's not like there's even a window to get his money. He can play nice. He can show up to work, be a professional. And hey, the Nets are probably going to be like, hey, Kyrie, tell you what, if you actually play, show up and you be a real good team player, Everyone else in the league is going to look at you being reformed. Reform, Lamar. Reform. A reformed Kyrie Irving. Your trade value will go through the roof and it'll be easier for us to make you happy, make you whole, go where you want to play. So, yes, there isn't that $6 million mini mid-level taxpayer contract now that he could have signed with the Lakers. But I think actually this saga is only beginning. Yeah, he just opted into his player option for a year. It's not like he signed a max extension here. And previously, we've seen how players have used the one-year player option as leverage to make demands from the organization. Happened with LeBron repeatedly in Cleveland. It was just one-year deal after one-year deal. KD used to do it before he signed into this max extension with the Nets. So this is far from over, but (laughs) he's making some interesting statements here that he's releasing through Shams, Sharanya. This is my favorite pastime is unpacking what Kyrie Irving says on the record. This is great. All right, let's do this quote. Normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall. There you go, man. And that's how I feel about our podcast. We're not normal people, right? We are the hallowed, the anointed. The enlightened. And the reason I know that is I look around and I don't see anyone like us. And I'm sure Kyrie Irving feels the same way. Simpatico, brother. Like, we figured out he's moving the chess pieces on the board with his mind. And the fact that everyone else is kind of lost or staggered or confused by this is actually quite humorous. I want to point to the Barstool tweet that he responded to. Barstool Sports tweeted a gif of Heath Ledger as a joker. Mm, GIF. Team GIF, baby. Team GIF. It's daddy named it GIF. I'm going to call it GIF, man. The man who made it says it's pronounced GIF. Who are you to say otherwise? Anyways, it's a GIF like a giraffe, of Heath Ledger as a joker walking away from the hospital as it explodes behind him. And the Barstool tweet says, Kyrie Irving destroying every NBA team he's ever been a part of. Kyrie responds with an asterisk, NBA champion, and asterisk, gold medalist, Kyrie Irving. Just thought the statement needed a correction as y'all continue to make money off my name 
and countless others. And I said, you go, Kyrie. You tell them. You let them know who's your boss. You get paid because of me. That means I control you. How much is Barstool making off of that tweet? <laughs> Millions. 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 Okay, sorry, I didn't see the sponsorship. Enough to sit courtside at the NBA Finals, Tom. Yep. That's how much. I just love that the intern at Barstool is typing this out like, hey guys, is it okay? Kyrie Irving, comma, NBA champion and gold medalist, comma, destroying every NBA team he has ever been a part of. Yep. We want to be journalistically correct here. Let's fire it off. That's for when Elon Musk allows us to edit tweets. (laughs) And I'm sorry, guys. I don't have a full breakdown this week of the I know who I am post that Kyrie made from Shameless. I don't have as much incredibly descriptive detail to give you on that one. I think he just chose that because of the line. I think also it's just the air of mystery with him, the air of uncertainty, and people call it unreliability. Now he's putting out a video of him in North Dakota and getting in touch with his soul and getting his voice out there. It just dawns on me that he is the guy at the top pulling the strings and everything. How many more views on that video in North Dakota is he getting? Because he's responding to Barstool, that he's tweeting out Brother Mazone gifts. I said it, gifts. And Mm. it just seems like he likes reading his name in the headlines. He likes it when wall-to-wall content on ESPN, First Take, SportsCenter is constantly talking about him. I mean, we had Brian Winhurst on SportsCenter this week saying- Well, we didn't have him. Well, we as in the old media, I guess. Had Brian Winhurst on SportsCenter talking about how the Nets are prepared to lose both Kyrie and Kevin Durant in this offseason. They would rather run it back without both of them than the status quo, what they existed. And I feel like Kyrie Irving's just sitting back and can't wait to continue pulling the strings behind the scenes. Oh, maybe it's the Clippers. Oh, hey, look at all those prospects in OKC. What if Kevin Durant and I just go to OKC and re-up with, oh, Russell Westbrook, $47 million. Come on down. Let's all kumbaya again in OKC. All throughout this season, I mean, I feel like Kyrie Irving is just going to continue leaving these breadcrumbs for us to pick up. Yo, uh, guys, real quick. It's come to my attention that, like, Kyrie, the whole Kyrie thing was... Well, I shouldn't say it's come to my attention. Someone, I talked to somebody. It's... Uh, this sounds very serious. I mean, are you are you okay? No, no, I'm not I'm not doing show here. I'm not doing show. I'm doing show notes, like, to prep you guys. It was all like a thought experiment. Kyrie, this whole thing, he knew from the beginning that he was going to opt in and decided to leak all of these things about six teams and sign and trade and explore that. And maybe he'll do the taxpayer mid-level exception with the Lakers. He did all that on purpose just to be like, oh, see, I can control you guys and manipulate the media or whatever. So I'm trying to think of a way that we can flip that kind of like into a third eye open type of scenario. I mean, I'm confused. I mean, we did a whole segment last week about how Kyrie was using the media. We put on this big show about predicting this i don't get it no i'm not i'm not doing shtick i'm saying like this is actually what what happened it's not a conspiracy it's this is what he did right and we did it last week yeah we talked about how Kyrie irving no, no. is manipulating the media to get what he wants i'm not doing third eye open so i'm i'm talking to you guys seriously right now pause the record pause the record he actually did it i mean are you okay the f- is going on here, man? It's like I'm just speaking in Chinese or something. 
You need to tell me you actually believe the stuff that we said? I mean, Kyrie Irving is the biodiesel that the show runs on. Parsing his communiques is what we live for, and the man doesn't stop. Of course, of course, this is all true. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? We are experiencing minor technical difficulties. So we just had a little internal meeting here at Basketball Illuminati, and I just want to check in on Amin. You always want to be truthful for the listeners, but in this new media environment, do you just want to cut it straight to the audience here about what just transpired? I'm not sure, but I I think my fourth eye just opened, and let me tell you something. Three is enough. (laughs) Three is enough. Can we just get to the guest already? Can we talk to the truth teller? Uh, I'm going to get some water. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late, and I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity in the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. It keeps them up nights. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man. You can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth. Of all truth tellers we've had on this podcast, can't say I've been more excited than the one we have here today. Your own Weitzman. You know, the thing, Tom, we got to point out is that in a prior iteration, before our third eyes were open, <laughs> your own had already been a guest on the pod. So I keep remembering like, oh, this is his first time because this is a new podcast and we are gazing at the NBA with an incredible amount of wokeness that hadn't prior existed in us in the great slumber, as I like to call it. That was the old version of the podcast. Your own welcome to the awakening. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to be anointed as a truth teller now. Before I was just a bum of a guest, but now I have a yes <laughs> new title. I like it. Well, there's an initiation here. Okay. What happened was we were like, should we have your own on the show? And then you wrote this amazing exclusive story for Fox Sports with Michael Rubin. Uh, and now it's like, oh, he's one of us now. <laughs> <laughs> he has now reached the pinnacle of journalism and pinnacle of truth telling. Welcome to Illuminati. Formally, a formal invitation has been accepted. Welcome to the show, own. You've done an amazing job covering the NBA for years. We used to work together at BR and now you're at Fox Sports writing amazing stories. Every time your own writes, I mean, uh-huh. It's like, oh, I wish I had thought of that. It's a great story to pursue. So kind. Thank you, Tom. I thought you were going to say an angel gets its wings every time you're on. <laughs> that too, by the way. That also happens. <laughs> they both are true. So this latest piece 
is really important for those who are big fans of the NBA. And there's kind of characters in the NBA that mean a lot to Amin and Maze and me and you, but they aren't really household names. And you should give us a 30,000 foot view of who Michael Rubin is and why selling his ownership stake in the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. This is an NBA show, but we keep our third eye open across many spectrums here. <laughs> Hockey Illuminati coming soon. Why should NBA fans care about this exclusive that you got with Michael Rubin? Well, the funny thing is I feel like Michael Rubin has done everything he possibly could to make sure that casual NBA fans would know who he is, right? That's part of it. So Michael Rubin, he was with the original ownership group, part of the original group that bought the team with Josh Harris and David Blitzer in 2011. Then he was just another rich guy buying in. Over the years, he's made more money. He's become more powerful. He's also... And this is the key part, right? He's one of the few people in that world who seems to be able to connect. Obviously, he's got the rich guy thing and can connect with owners and all of them. But players, mm. people on the players seem to like hanging around him. He seems to connect with them. In particular, him and Joel Embiid are really close. I don't want to do power rankings. I don't know if Joel Embiid can use more than one hand to count people who he's closer with than Michael Rubin, close with James Harden, which I'm sure we'll get to. He threw himself into the public spotlight, and you can be both cynical and not. Nah, it's probably a mix with the free Meek Mill at a prison stuff. Certainly did a lot of good there in terms of raising awareness and money and campaigning on behalf of Meek Mill. There are certainly lots of people who might think that some of that was meant to get in the public eye a bit. Mm. The answer is mm -hmm. probably in the middle, as lots of these things are, right? You could have both be true. And basically, in the past three or four years, he's become this huge NBA power broker and big, important voice in all Sixers. I'll say big decisions. Like, I don't think the equivalent of should we trade for Danny Green is something that Michael Rubin gets in on. But Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, James Harden, Joel Embiid. Maybe there would have been times in the past couple of years where we would hear more discontent with the organization. If not for Michael Rubin's presence, that's where he mattered. And then selling his shares now, which I'm sure we'll get to also, but he's no longer an official part of the 76ers. So let me start with him being able to foster a relationship with players and with younger people. How? <laughs> Can I tell you? I don't know, right? And I know it's not the answer I'm supposed to give. Like, I've asked. I've asked. We appreciate your honesty, your brutal honesty on this show. Truth teller. Yeah, no, because it's the real, it's the true question, right? And I can't say I fully get it. If you ask me to like, combine a guess with talking to different people and why, it's that he's engaging. He's a really engaging person. I've spoken, I've met with him, other people, like he's engaging. You have to compare him to other owners. If we're doing the scale there of interpersonal skills and ways to communicate with people, <laughs> the bar there is not exactly high to clear to stand out as somebody like, oh, this guy's kind of cool, right? So there's that. He is an unbelievable connector, unbelievable in terms of if you're a player and you wanted to get into other doors, businesses, meet other people, that is Michael Rubin's gift, his currency, right? The ability to connect and build relationships and foster IOUs in completely... I'll say benevolent or but clean ways, just normal ways. This is how he does relationships. I believe this is a report. I believe the meeting that ended the baseball lockout took part in his building, <laughs> in his apartment. You can look this up. This wasn't my reporting. But like Tony Clark and Rob Manfred at one point met in his apartment. And that was one of the final meetings. This is just an unbelievable connector of people. So players now, especially a lot of them, like to give themselves as moguls and corporations and organizations. Michael Rubin's a good person to know with that stuff. And I think it's also a fun hang. Like he goes out, he goes partying. I always wonder, like, you know, the older white guy there, but clearly it works, right? Like, he's a fun hang, goes out partying. I'm sure he's throwing down some money. So I think it's kind of a mix of that. Jerome, you just mentioned the Meek Mill connection, which is one that he shares with 
Robert Kraft, yep. who's also close with Meek Mill. So he's got connections to Robert Kraft. He's got connections to Rob Manfred and all of Major League Baseball. I can understand how being the owner of a basketball team might be a little limiting for a guy with as many connections as this. Is this part of his move here to broaden his empire into all of sports. Yeah, I mean, it's two parts of it. One, he just grew too big. Like, I think he might even be worth more if you look at the net worth. His might be more than Josh Harris and David Blitzer now, the majority <laughs> owner. Oh, the student becomes the teacher. <laughs> right now, Fanatics, and again, I'm dabbling as a sports business reporter with some of this stuff, right? But Fanatics has just become a monster, especially in the pandemic. And you mentioned Rob Manfred, and they bought out Tops. One of the interesting things talking to different people is you think of things like, why didn't anyone else think of this? Is one of the ways they were able to explode is they were one of the first merchandise companies to make their merchandise on site. So like during, let's say, Linsanity, right? If you're Linsanity and you're a Knicks fan, you have to wait a month for the Jeremy Lin jerseys to get in. Michael Rubick just has the cotton material, put lint on it. You have your Lin jersey in two days, right? Which seems like someone should have thought of that beforehand. And they're just expanding into everything, gambling, individual rights. So like even Adam Silver in the statement he gave us for the story, which I was a little surprised, he said basically along the lines of Fanatics has grown too big. It's impractical or no longer practical for Michael Rubin to be an NBA owner anymore. It just doesn't work. What does impractical mean? I read that quote and kudos to you. You got the commissioner on the record to talk about Michael Rubin and... It's not often you see him putting his name to a big power broker leaving the business. It's not even like, welcome, Michael Rubin. It's goodbye, Michael Rubin. And I want to talk about how amazing you are that his business was now impractical in ownership. So can you unpack that for us? Sure. One, Fanatics is expanding into gambling right there. You can't be a part owner of a team or associate with a team and have your business on the side gambling, right? Take bets. I believe Fanatics, they have a partnership with the NBA union, right? That's another one. Like, So you have part owner who has business relationships with other players, right? These are just two examples. There are all sorts of other owners are involved. I mean, the NBA is weird like this in general. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know because you have a mix of these owners and everyone's competitors, but also partners. And you're always going to have these gray areas in terms of how the 30 teams operate. But yeah, for Fanatics to do with betting and individual licensing and all that stuff, the amount of money Ruben has, it just, it was asking, I think some of the stuff that people would be poking around, like myself, like you guys on a podcast like this, other stuff, I think basically what Adam Silver is saying is, yeah, that all those things would have been true if we let Michael Ruben hang around for another few months and talk to other players and have his dealings and relationships with other players. It's interesting to me because the NBA has partnerships in gambling, sports betting, and then they also are investing in sports betting companies like Sport Radar. Mark Cuban, Ted Leonsis, Michael Jordan, they're all making huge investments in buying stakes in these sports betting companies. But Michael Rubin, when he is part of a gambling entity, he no longer is fit to be an owner. It's a very blurry line here. What is okay in a bud board and what's not? Speaking of blurry line, maybe I'm misunderstanding. Is Michael Rubin being compelled to sell his share because of this nature of his business or is he self saying oh guys i gotta tap out i'm getting into this sort of stuff what he says and i genuinely believe this and i'm pretty cynical in nature basically when the idea came about 18 months ago as fanatics hey we are going to expand the big part of fanatics business has basically been to buy low you know other things are selling price points and other things go low let's go eat it all up right but when two years ago we are going to expand into trading cards players licenses gambling it was done knowing that at some point very soon, 
the point to sell would come. The order of operations was that, not that they expanded and then something came across Adam Silver's desk and he said, wait a second, this guy's in gambling, he has to get out. I do believe that that's the case in this situation. Okay. I have a question for you. Did Michael Rubin become more helpful to the Sixers by leaving the ownership group? <laughs> that's what he would say. Can he say that? Well, I guess it doesn't matter, right? He didn't say that to me. I said that's what he would say. I'll be careful, right? <laughs> there was a report in my story that Josh Harris was told by the league office, like, don't worry, Michael Rubin will actually be more helpful to you now that he's free. Oh, uh. Okay. You can't tamper if you're not an official member of a team. Now, retroactively, I'm not really sure. That'd be funky. Like if somebody wanted to say, let's say, poke around the James Harden stuff. I don't know the rules on that. Maybe I should, right? But going forward, if there was another version of James Harden, the side point is I think Michael Rubin already collected everybody that he's close with. I think the Avengers were already assembled. I don't know if there's anyone left. Let me ask you a more direct way. Yeah. Let's say Daryl Morey and James Harden come to terms on a new contract that is not the max. Mm -hmm. It's just below the max. And on the sheet of the Sixers, they're paying James Harden X dollars. Right. Can Michael Rubin step in and say, hey, I will give you a piece of my business as collateral or as another way to compensate you? And because he's not officially a Sixers member anymore, how is that? Illegal. I believe so. I don't have that confirmed from the league office. I'll be clear, right? But I believe so. I believe it's no different than if a player signs in New York and you say, hey, look at all the marketing opportunities you have. Yeah. So the rule is you can say, hey, look at all the marketing opportunities by coming to New York. You can't say... This is the CEO of General Electric. Right. <laughs> They've got some opportunities they want to. It can't be explicit in that nature. Oh, and by the way, General Electric is a huge sponsor of the New York Knicks, right? Correct. So by the Sixers, what I would ideally want is to have absolutely zero business connection with Michael Rubin. Fanatics doesn't sponsor us. Nothing that's specific to the Sixers. But if Michael Rubin wants to be a nice guy and help us out, why not? The question becomes, what's the return for Michael Rubin? To go to your point, like if James Harden and Joel Embiid are in the next Fanatics commercial, right, as individual spokesmen, yeah, that's fine. Which made me think also like that Spike Lee's dropped the ball. Oh, yeah. You know, like that he's not offering big movie roles or something. Why wasn't Ray Allen on the Knicks after he got game, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. In the wake of the Michael Rubin stuff, Spike Lee, he wears the jersey. He's not doing enough. The <laughs> idea of a super fan has grown. He's slacking. Spike Lee, not doing enough. That's the headline <laughs> from this podcast. <laughs> So all Spike Lee has done is pissed off Reggie Miller. He's not putting anyone in the movie. He's not doing anything. <laughs> At the end of the story, you said he's still adjusting to his new role outside the Sixers organization. Asked about the team's future outlook. Michael Rubin said, quote, At the end of the day, we have one responsibility. It's to win championships. And every year you don't win a championship, you failed. End quote. He laughed and said, I guess it's still we for a few more days, and then it will be they. Mm. Kind of says it all right there, right? I'm going to want to help this team win championships, but I guess I'm no longer allowed to say we because it's not official. I do think it's important, and he wouldn't say this. I even tried asking. He wouldn't say this. I don't think the Sixers are the allegiance as much as the people on the Sixers, specifically Joel Embiid, Harden, and Maury a little bit too. You know, I don't think Michael Rubin seven years from now will, will have any investment in the Sixers. I could be wrong. If the players are gone, if it's like a brand new crop of players, somehow they'll be like, okay, I've moved on or I'll move on to where they move. Joel Embiid gets traded to Miami. All of a sudden, we're going to see Michael Rubin at a bunch of heat games is what you're saying. I would think so. I asked him that. I forget what he answered. I asked him that. He gave one of his non-answers. But I mean, the guy... 
I mean, he lives in Philly. He also has a nice place in New York. Like, I wouldn't say, I know he grew up in the Philly area, but I don't think the ties bleed Sixers red and blue. All right. So, Sixers ties, Joel Embiid ties. These are all ties that make sense. They're there. However, his ties to James Harden <laughs> predate James Harden's time on the Sixers. Yes. There's so many different directions I want to go with this. <laughs> Let's just start with, did anyone in the NBA office or other teams have a problem with a part owner of one team having such a strong relationship with a player from another team that you can't say it was, oh, because he played for them back in the day or something like this. This is a purely outside of basketball relationship that he had with this guy. Yeah, for sure. I imagine if you asked the Nets on Trusser, not even Trusser, like if you asked like Sean Marks or Josiah, they would say similar things. Though they would also acknowledge, I believe, that who are we kidding on this one? You know, pot call kettle black on some of the mm. relationships of players on other teams and how you recruit guys. But yeah, for sure. I mean, the Michael Rubin, James Harden thing, was a red flag. Even so, I was even surprised. So like the Michael Rubin, it's a whole interesting media thing, but the news came out like four different people published news. We were only with the interviews. You can go check that out. But even in Woj's story, and this was interesting, he mentioned Harden and his relationship. That's right, your own. Woj wrote that Rubin drew the scrutiny of NBA rivals because of his close relationship with Harden and that he can now enter outside financial partnerships with players that were disallowed because he was a part owner of the teams, an avenue that could prove beneficial to the Sixers as they work to re-sign Harden. And if you raise to that, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, right? But if you raise the level where Woj feels comfortable enough <laughs> mentioning it in his ESPN article, it's pretty out there then. It's one thing for one ownership group to feel like, man, these guys are doing some shady stuff, but so are we or whatever. But as a league office, as an entity that's responsible for creating the rules of engagement and enforcing them. How are they just okay with, again, what felt like a very brazen and open relationship between a minority owner and a superstar from another franchise? So I don't have a specific answer in relation to Harden. I could just say, has the league office shown any true inclination or desire to clamp down on tampering throughout the years other than a random Lonzo Ball thing here and there? Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson got fired. <laughs> on Jimmy Kimmel, I guess if you go on national TV, maybe if Michael Rubin went on James Corden carpool karaoke or something and was singing about Harden, he would have been fined or whatever. I don't know. And then winked. Is he a free agent now in the sense that now other teams can use Michael Rubin as a way to get access to Joel Embiid or to James Harden or anybody else in his orbit that he's close with? For sure. For sure. If someone else can figure out a way to do that, that's definitely a move. I'd be interested to see if some of the teams in other sports try following that path too. But yeah, he may or may not like the idea of being called a free agent. How about that, right? <laughs> so that may be something that would appeal to him. Your own, he's a free agent now. He's got relationships across different sports leagues. What do you think would be the goal for him in a sports capacity? Does he have any desire to own a team by himself? Is there something higher? Is he better off just running his company and soaking up all the benefits of those relationships? I asked him. He said no to owning another sports team, specifically, point blank. It would be the same issues, right? In other leagues, whatever sports team, you have the same issues. He thinks, and other people, again, I'm dabbling as a sports business reporter, but if you hear other people in the business or owners or whatever, Fanatics has become a monster. It's this humongous company, and he thinks it could be biggest sports company in the world. That's insane. I know, it's crazy. We're selling jerseys? That's where we're at? What I think is, within that context, we can become omninational and reposition. Because actually we are not tied 
culturally or physically. So, so we are actually in a great position to leapfrog tech. Information is going to be more precious than water in the next 100. Combine all our news operations, become the global news information hub. Amazon is 20 years old, Gates is an old geezer, detoxify our brand, and we can go supersonic. He mentioned even to me, a one-stop sports app. Content, merchandise, gambling, NFTs. I know we all love NFTs here. Mm, love them. The live content part here, I didn't have, but he mentioned live games also, which I found interesting too, which I guess in a future world, why not? What's the difference between Fanatics and Amazon Prime? I'm making this up, right? I don't know. I mean, more money, but like, right. why can't games be on your phone? Yeah. Jeff Bezos once sold books, you're on. Yeah, there you go. That used to be his business. So don't put these people in a box. And the relationships, and it's hard to exactly explain, but the relationships, that's all part of it. It's all part of it. Just knowing everybody and being the guy everybody calls to. And when I say everybody, I'm not saying like, oh, like our buddies on this level. These are like the most powerful people in the world and having everyone who owes you one and be able to like, that's part of it. That's part of the, how this works. So your own, where do the Sixers go from here? Now that Michael Rubin is outside of the organization, James Harden can sign an extension with the team, Joel Embiid, Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers. There's a lot of big personalities here. Is everyone cool with this long-term marriage? Or do you think there's some uncertainty going forward for the Sixers? Right now, I believe so. I do. I think everyone's good. As good as anyone is in the NBA these days, especially when you involve big personalities and superstars and all that, right? So like good could mean a year and we're done. But Harden seems like it's going to return. He had some weird comments last year at the end of the year. But I think my understanding is him and Embiid are fine. Again, I don't know if they're like best friends. Are they having lunch together like when <laughs> Snyder talked about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? They sit at the same lunch table. <laughs> exactly. I'll get on that. That should be my next story. Like, who's having lunch together? Which superstars eat lunch together? Yeah. <laughs> the Doc Rivers stuff is interesting. I know that's been a big talking point. Again, everyone I've asked people in Philly specifically, they all say, no, it's fine. Daryl's fine with it. If he wanted to go somewhere else, he can. Mm. He's got the power, the mandate to do it. They're fine with Doc Rivers, which maybe Sixers fans don't want to hear. And I'm sure there are specific decisions Doc Rivers makes, which Daryl Morey does not love. But I think they were happy with how Doc handled last year through the Ben Simmons stuff, especially. Iron, did your third eye open when James Harden was <laughs> asked about Doc Rivers' management of the offense and the passing and all that? Were you like, huh, that was an interesting comment or non-comment? Yeah, he had like 10 of those last year. I was at a random game doing something else like in Toronto earlier when there was like no reporters. And it was one of the games late in the year where Harden went like one for 15 and he blamed the spacing after. It's always someone else's fault. I mean, I love when he blames the defense after bad games. It kills me. <laughs> I compared it once in a story to like a politician refusing to campaign, losing the election, and then blaming his campaign staff for not pushing the campaign. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. So yeah, Harden's comments are crazy. But one, they don't have any other options right now, right? This is it. The Harden B, that's it. That's your options. So they'll run it back through the year. With the Sixers stuff, it always boils down to the same thing. Can Joel Embiid play every other day at 95% for three months come spring, right? And if you can do that, they have a good shot. And if not, they're in trouble. Your own, you've mentioned cynicism on this show quite a bit here. And I want to know what is the story, the NBA story, the NBA conspiracy theory that you love to believe in the most? Your favorite NBA conspiracy. You don't have to believe in it, but what's your favorite one? That accepting the $30 million, that's the best conspiracy. That makes you a leader. I love it. <laughs> I had a few. This is not exactly, but I feel like this is up your guys' alley. Not even a conspiracy theory, but it's kind of funny. Do you remember Jimmy Butler, the story after Andrew Wiggins, and we had the Andrew Wiggins victory tour after the year, and 
was it Draymond who said that Tibbs told him that Jimmy Butler loved Andrew Wiggins the whole time and that they actually they all loved him? Mm-hmm. And I was talking to somebody today and they reminded me that not only did Jimmy Butler not like Andrew Wiggins, he tried taking money out of Andrew Wiggins' pocket. Remember? Like he tried convincing them to not pay Andrew Wiggins. Oh, pay yeah. me instead. That's real. He was like, you guys told me I'm the most important player here. And you're paying two other guys more than me. So how does that make sense? I'm not mad at Jimmy for that. I'd do the same shit, man. I'm not mad at him for that either. But I love the idea. New media, right? I love new media that we're now turning that into somehow Jimmy loved Andrew Wiggins all the time. So that made me laugh. Tough love. You're on tough love. <laughs> yeah, tough love. The actual answer, I think the Jordan that he was poisoned. I like that one. That's my favorite. The poison pizza? Bad pizza, yeah. That's just pretty great for many different reasons. Yeah, but we got the documentary, Last Dance, got to the bottom of that. Michael Jordan signed sealed and delivered answered the burning question that on everyone's mind it's like 10 10 30 at night i'm hungry we find one pizza place open so he ordered a pizza there's four or five guys outside the door five guys delivering one pizza take the pizza i pay i pay them i said i got a bad feeling about this i eat the pizza all by myself nobody else eats eat the pizza i wake up about 2 30 throwing up left and right my roommate man come to the room right now He's literally curled up in a ball. So it really wasn't a flu game. It was, it was food poison. You think he's impartial, right? I was going to say that everything we know, everything in The Last Dance was completely impartial and objective and true and not slanted at all. That was really the start of new media, I guess. Draymond owes Michael Jordan a piece of something for this new media trend. The conflicts of interest that we talk about with Michael Rubin, Michael Jordan, who's got clients on other teams with the Jordan brand, navigating these landmines for the league office on what's kosher, what's good, what's okay, above board, below board. It does seem like this is a very difficult landscape now in the new media landscape where players and owners and GMs are all in cahoots with each other on some business level. It is interesting, right? And the Jordan thing, I assume that's just they don't want to touch Jordan. But as players, and this is actually, I didn't put this in the story, but as players, again, become corporations and invest. And one thing Ruben did say is he thinks it's the league, it's a completely antiquated model, the idea that players can invest in funds. And I bet you if you went and unpacked every investment fund that LeBron, all these guys have, not even LeBron, lower guys, like everything they're investing in, if you don't think there'd be overlap between whatever owners are running or companies like that. I mean, that's, that's naive. Like it's, it's definitely there, right? And it's something the league is probably going to have to address officially sometime soon as this becomes more and more common in terms of like, what are actually the rules here? What are we allowing? What are we not? All right, Yaron, you gave us what your favorite conspiracy was. Yeah. But what if I told you out of all the conspiracies, we know all the big ones, we've been around the game. Out of all of them, one of them is absolutely 100% true. It's not a conspiracy. It really happened. You can go frozen envelope. You can go Michael Jordan was suspended for two years for gambling. You can go the Spurs cut the AC. The Anthony Davis draft went to the New Orleans franchise magically. Oh, that's a good one. All the ones that you can think of. If I told you one of them, I'm not going to tell you which one, but one of these things is absolutely true. So just so I can be clear, this is like a guess or you guys know one is true and I'm guessing you're going to be revealing this on a show at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be quite a tease for us. On the series finale of Basketball Illuminati. exactly. (laughs) We found the poison on the pizza and the guy who was behind it all. (laughs) That'd be good. If I had to guess one was true, ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to believe in the competitive nature of Pat Riley. Well, that's the opposite. So that's Spurs. Oh, I'm going Spurs. I'm going Spurs air conditioning because that was weird. I'm going that one. Oh, yeah. Mm, I'm going that one. That's mine. I definitely believe in that one because I was there 
<laughs> and if you want to know more, you need to go back and tune in the Basketball Illuminati episode. Which episode was it, Mace? Episode 18, Zero Chill. Zero Chill, baby. Go back and listen to that. We went deep dive on it. We had all types of witness testimony. You don't want to miss that. And your own, you wrote a book, right? I did write a book, yes. Oh, that's right. Tanking to the top about the process and the Philadelphia 76ers which never ends. Why is it no one is up in arms about Oklahoma City doing it <laughs> times a thousand million? Sometimes I remind people, you know, because you get asked Sixers questions. And I have Sixers brain, so I'm not anti it, right? I'm happy to nerd out on Sixers stuff. You know, Sam Hinkie was there less than three seasons, which I think gets lost on people. It was a really <laughs> short period. A lot happened, but it was a really short period. What a time. I'm guessing the answer is Sam Presti has nicer, cooler glasses, gives off a different vibe, mm. talks to reporters maybe a little bit more. I came around a little after him, but I was pretty surprised to learn that Sam Hinkie was incredibly generous off the record with reporters. It was yes. just in press conferences and on the record, he was not there, which maybe Sam Hinkie was ahead of his time because now all GMs are off the record. And maybe if he was now, you'd read inside stories about how the Sixers process is actually genius. I think it was the only thing that he would say on the record with Pablo Torre in that infamous article was that his favorite author... Robert Caro. Robert Caro was his favorite author. That was it. Yeah, really subtle. Exactly. So, tanking to the top from Jerome Weitzman, go pick it up. Whatever your favorite bookstore is, soon it will be owned by fanatics. <laughs> that you're supposed to pronounce Kyrie's name on Twitter. A11 even? Is it all 11? Is it pronounced 11 but spelled differently? This is more cryptic than Elon Musk's baby. I'm going to say all 11. All even. All even. No. It's all even. No, see, his number is 11, so he's saying 11. And it's a name, so it's a number. He's trying to say names are numbers and numbers are names. We have to keep our third eye open. They're indistinguishable. My number is 11, but it's also my name. 11. A1, 11. A1 since day one? A1, 11? No, no, no. See, I think it has something to do with Club 11 in Miami. Hmm. A11, Evan. Oh, 11, Evan. 11, 11? 11, 11. 11, Evan. 11, Evan. 11, Evan. Stranger things have happened, guys.